0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: It's the True Faith Newcastle United podcast. I'm Alex. I'm joined by Simon Campbell. But more importantly, today, we're delighted to be joined by Newcastle United Chief Commercial Officer Peter Silverstone. Hello Peter, thank you for being here.
2: Hi guys, great to see you both and great to be on.
1: Let's start with a little bit about you and your role, Peter, if that's okay. So could you tell our listeners what a Chief Commercial Officer does at Newcastle United?
2: Well, my uh, my remit is to primarily build a team that can then deliver on the commercial expectations and ambitions of the football club, of the community, of the ownership group, of the, the football team, the management team, to effectively deliver as much revenue as possible, and the associated ways that you build that revenue, which is through fan engagement, fan development, fan growth, to make sure the product that's on the pitch, the team that's on the pitch is the best that it can be within our Premier League and European regulatory um, environment.
1: And you've been at the club about 10 months now, how has that, that
2: journey been from arrival to where we are today? Uh, being honest, exhausting, <laughs> but um, an exhaustion with nothing but a smile on my face. It's um, it's an exhausting time for everyone at the club trying to keep up with the pace uh, of of the growth of the team, of the growth of the club and the ambition of the club with the limited uh, capacity we've had at the club over a period of time from my now knowledge of, of the past and my knowledge of where we need to get to in the future. It's a very small skeletal team off the pitch that are trying to deliver on the same ambitions as our, uh, as what are called the so-called top six in, in the Premier League. We're trying to catch up with that that group, and to do that, we need capacity. So it's been a very tiring time, but such an enjoyable time. I mean, I'm very fortunate to have come to the club at a time when you know, the football just been nothing but ascendancy. Um, I've seen very few negative games, and that's obviously not the norm. Working in a football club, it's an emotional roller coaster. Working in a football club from week to week. Day to day, um, reading the back pages, reading, or or suffering or experiencing results can be emotionally draining. But my time has been um, nothing but highs. I'm very fortunate to say, and which has made the tiring work just nothing but enjoyable.
3: It's good. It's a good point. Actually, do you have a plan for if there is a period where things start to go? The wrong Because eventually it's going to plateau There's going to be a period of, of difficulty we'll, we'll go through a rough patch There might be some injuries There might be some tougher games on the pitch What? How is the club planning to respond to that? Because at some point that, that could happen Is there any kind of plans in place?
2: Yeah, I always say that everything we do All the processes and structures we put in place Are for good times and bad times Whether that's ticketing Whether that's um, events, sponsorship You've got to be resilient to the results and the pitch We, as an off-field group commercial, finance, legal, people, departments, we can impact directly what happens on the pitch, albeit we can provide more resource and support. And ultimately, on that basis, we need to be set up for success in either way. So we need to make sure that the, the fan experience in the stadium, outside the stadium, and everything we're doing is um, is geared towards uh, the the equilibrium. Mm. You cannot rely on, I mean, there's no team in the Premier League, in my view, maybe Man City aside, who at the beginning of a season say we're going to be in the top four. That's impossible Mm. to predict. Look what happened last season and look at the strength and depth of the Premier League and some of the teams, Brentford, Brightford, ourselves, Fulham, having great seasons, every team being able to beat each other. So you can't rely on being at a certain place in the league. Mm. So you've got to have systems and processes in place and teams in place that, allow you to be good in the good times and good in the more difficult times.
1: How has it been for you building a team from the ground up? Because um, people, all listeners will probably be aware that when the new ownership came in, there was a number of key positions to fill, of, of which yours was one. But then I assume there has to be a lot of work beneath you that you've had to kind of almost start from scratch. How difficult has that been? How successful has it been?
2: It's been, uh, I wouldn't say it's been difficult, it just takes time to, to work through requirements. Um, when I came in, there was a lot of big projects that needed done immediately, which as we all know, when you prioritise your time, it means you're not able to focus on maybe recruitment or, or structuring, but in, we're, that process is well underway. I think when we started, or when I started, there was just over 40 people in the commercial department which if you compare to different periods in my time at arsenal the same remit same group of our departments of teams was between 150 and 200 to give you a sense of the scale of, of our mm. growth we're now um, i think the last numbers are were 65 so we're growing still got a lot of growth we've just moved to new offices in the downstairs of the stadium to to, to cope with that increased um, capacity but it's, it's not a challenge to pull people to the project, it's just the challenge of time of getting through the processes. We have made a conscious decision, or, or I'm, I'm very passionate about this, about we're not gonna have a satellite office. Um, currently, that's not in the plan, so no, uh, Liverpool have a, an office in London, uh, Manchester City have an office in London, Manchester United have an office in London, obviously Arsenal and Chelsea don't need offices in London, they've got mm. stadiums and businesses in London, but at this time, our focus is building the heart and soul the culture of the club here in newcastle we're a family club and it's all about um how we interact both with the local fans and the local community so all the current hiring is for newcastle so that has it has an impact uh on on processes but at the moment we've um, we're starting to attract some really great hires into the commercial team and all of them coming to or staying in newcastle which is great
1: Hugely successful season uh, on the pitch for Newcastle United last year. Almost a miracle, really, if you look at the resources that the football club has compared to the rivals which it either competed with or bested in, in the final league table. How how, how much of off-the-pitch work is there still to do to try and catch up to the incredible success of Eddie's team?
2: A huge amount. Um, I remember speaking to Kieran Tripper just after the final in in London, And we'd had some conversations the week before about a commercial issue or a commercial discussion. And I said to him afterwards, keeping up commercially with the football growth is hugely challenging. I think um, the one element I had misunderstood, not read properly or not really appreciated was just the speed at which the ownership group um, are committed to uh, ensuring Newcastle is a top Premier League European club challenging for all trophies. That's in the club's mission, mm. it was in my interview process, but the, the, the bit I'd sort of overlooked was that within five years, which is just so ambitious. Um, it takes time to, to build that commercial capacity, capability, and then execute. The key element of commercial growth is the sort of the virtuous circle, the, the invest in team at the top of the Top of the circle, moving around to football success, leading to increased fan base, fan growth, which leads to commercial success, i.e., more revenue, which then going back to the top of the circle leads to more investment in the team. And the, the vital sort of point on the journey is the increase in fans. And that takes time, albeit last season's success meant our, you know, UK viewership was up. Uh, 44% from a live perspective, which was against the Premier League's own 6% up. So we were 44 versus the Premier League's wow. 6 in, in, in broadcast. And then globally, that's translated, we were up 26% <laughs> globally live broadcast against the Premier League 6%. So we're the outlier. We're growing very quickly from a broadcast perspective. And obviously, the that realized itself through increased broadcast payments for finishing the top 4 which obviously has you know, better merit payment and we get more games on sky in the uk but it's still to drive the success we need more sponsorship and sponsorship requires greater fan growth greater fan numbers
3: you, you came uh, to the club in october last year that's right isn't it um, just before the world cup newcastle were already looking like it top 4 was a real possibility is that was the timing of that deliberate? Was there a realisation at that point that the club needed to get this thing moving more quickly than the perhaps they'd planned? Had any of this commercial work that you're now doing been done in the year since the takeover by the time you came into post, or was it really all escalated from that point?
2: I th- you know, Now, being able to, having been in role, and then look back and imagine how they've managed to do this without uh, various roles, I think the answer there is there was... Um, a group, an ownership group Obviously um, PIF and, and PCP primarily Who were doing a lot of the roles okay Sporting director, commercial director, CEO yeah. And all of the other roles And, and managing um, a relatively small commercial team and off-field team themselves And obviously they brought in key hires in, in, in Dan Ashworth and Darren And then I came in just after Darren But I, I think it was Uh, Well, even because you've asked me about recruitment myself, it's taken me time. So I think it's always been in the planning, Mm. but it just takes time to execute.
1: Expanding the fan base, bringing in new people to Newcastle United, uh, that is what a lot of fans will have assumed this pre-season has been all about. Uh, You've just come back from the USA with the the team and uh, club colleagues yourself. I suppose, kind of general question, how was it?
2: It was amazing, absolutely amazing uh a great experience the premier league um you know we're just one of 20 clubs in the premier league but we're we're all equal and the premier league had this initiative and something i've supported throughout my time working in the premier league of a pre-season tournament in the us it's our biggest market the premier league is the biggest market outside the uk broadcast market is is the us and nbc um it does a fantastic job of broadcast there so there's all these fan parties and uh, fan watches very early in the morning so Going there and being part of that tournament with the Premier League, but then having the identity of Newcastle United when we we're out there, was was just incredible. Um, we took Shea Given, we took Shola, Steve Harper was there. Their engagement with the fans was enough in itself. The fans were loving seeing them, but also then all the players got their eyes opened to how much Newcastle was loved on the other side of the world. It was fantastic.
1: And this is all you know. This is Newcastle loved on the other side of the world before a lot of the things which you and colleagues are trying to do to expand the fan base. So, I mean, that must have been incredibly pleasing already to see, you know, I watch the games on TV, but whole ends behind huge stadium goals full of black and white. Did it take you by surprise just how popular we are?
2: Um, I don't think it took me by surprise, but it was a, an amazing feeling. The biggest surprise was the mega goal in, in Atlanta so there was a 70,000 sellout crowd in the most amazing stadium um, I've seen. Uh, and yes, you had your black and white side and you had your Chelsea side. There's a lot of Chelsea blue behind the goal that Meggie scored. And when Meggie scored, the, all, the, all the Chelsea fans, <laughs> I'll call them fans, but they were, I think, soccer or football fans, all cheered. The stadium erupted. And that just shows you how football is consumed in the US. It's not, it's about... Loving the Premier League, loving the product, loving the teams. Yes, they've bought blue shirts and they're Chelsea fans, but they supported Miggy, they supported the Premier League, and they supported that goal. So that was amazing. I mean, the the tour itself, or pre-season for from a commercial perspective, has has three three tenets to it, really important. Um, the first one, priority, vital preparation for the team, fitness, matches, number of matches, all determined in cooperation with, um, with the football department. Growing the brand, fan developments so that's really important. You can't do that in a, a training camp in, in Europe, for, ex- for example, but you can get the vital football preparation there. So combining the two is, is ideal. And then of course, the final element is to generate revenue. Um, and by selling out stadiums in New Jersey, in Atlanta, and in um, Philadelphia, we also generated revenue and then that allows us to to invest back into the team. So hitting all three of those targets at the same time.
1: Brilliant. And your pre-season is ongoing as we'll record. Newcastle United playing the Seller Cup this weekend at St. James's Park. That must be an incredible occasion again. Talk us through the thinking behind hosting.
2: Yeah, again, I'll go back to vital preparation for the team. So... We're playing in Europe this season, we're playing in the Champions League. Spoke to Dan, spoke to Eddie, clear remit from having played in a Premier League trophy, playing against Haston Villa, who we're playing in two weeks' time, Brighton and Chelsea. We now need to get some European experience. So we've got, we're have got. we playing against Fiorentina, we're playing against Villarreal, so that's vital football preparation. Fan development, fan engagement, uh, growing the brand, well, what better way to do that in pre-season than... Have a seller cup presented by Visit Maltus, another sponsor um, activation there in front of um, St James's Park crowd, and then generate revenues. So, whereas some teams um, have stayed in uh, Asia or the US longer, that wasn't the football preparation we wanted. So, I think Liverpool are playing tomorrow, Wednesday, in Singapore, which means they get back Thursday or Friday. We want to be back in, in training in the training ground on. Well, today they've come back to training, full week of training, matches at home, so no travel, other clubs are going off travelling, we're staying at home, and then we've got that full week ahead of the Premier League. So again, vital preparation, fan development, earning revenues, and, and the Sela Cup will be a great opening experience for our own Tonali. So his first game will be against Fiorentina, so that's a nice touch for him. Um, he'll get to see the crowd and then of course Harvey Barnes will have played at St. James's Park before, but he'll get to do that wearing wearing the black and white of Newcastle. So another great experience for him. And just a great experience for the fans to see the team again and and get excited for, for Villa next week.
1: Cellar is a, is a new partner this season. It's obviously huge for the club to have a new front of shirt sponsor already uh, as supporters. We've seen the Seller Cup and we've seen the announcement of the fan zone partnered with Stack and Seller again is that kind of is that the kind of partner that you're looking for someone who can be more than just a front of shirt sponsor
2: yeah um so obviously we went through <clears throat> when i want to talk about arriving at the club and having lots of big projects One that was one of the big projects and um, we spoke to over a thousand companies <laughs> and we went wow. through a process um and we got down to i'll say a final few And I remember going to meet Sela uh, in in Riyadh and talking to them about their business and the scale of their business and their ambition of their business to grow both in Saudi but outside of Saudi in the UK and in mainland Europe, hearing what they do and seeing what they do. and I I ask anyone to go and visit the, the properties they have there. It made them a natural partner for us. They're very much involved in sports marketing in Saudi. They organize the Spanish Super Cup, the Italian Super Cup, so they know all about sports properties and sports marketing but now they're trying to market their own brand and also to win business in the uk and beyond so some of the initiatives that they're wanting us to help them with are really in our sweet spot um, match organization seller cup fan zone you have to see their properties to realize that they are the experts there so they'll bring obviously stack is a very well-known local business but maybe with newcastle united and some sprinklings of seller we can make it um, a fan zone to be really proud of. Subject to, obviously, of course, it's very early stages of planning permissions, et cetera. Anything?
3: Um, no, no. That's okay, we'll <laughs> really move on. Really comprehensive.
2: Yeah. Um, let's talk
1: about Amazon then and the documentary that's coming up. I'm sure most, if not all listeners are aware, but, uh, but Friday the 11th is the, is the premiere, the first of four episodes, and then an episode dropping every Friday thereafter for a month. Can you just tell us a little bit about the origins of the project and, and how it kind of came to the club?
2: Uh, yes, I can. It came just as I joined the club. Um, I'd obviously done an Amazon project before. My time at Arsenal, slightly different construct to this one, but um, the production company is the same production company that does the the Amazon all or nothing. Uh, 72 films, fantastic um, a group of individuals who really understand that dynamic in a football club. But the difference between this documentary and we were very clear when we discussed it across a whole club across the whole club was this is not a football behind the scenes documentary this is a football club behind the scenes documentary and I think the way we position it is or we, we did position it in the way it's reflected is it's 75% about the club and the actors around the club ownership PIF PCP the, the Reuben brothers and family um, executive Dan Darren myself featuring it along as many others with the club and then the football side so 75% about the off field and 25% on field of course the on field stuff is is um uh, gives you goosebumps and there's some scenes in there where when I saw the cuts I was you know close to tears or what, turning away from the table <laughs> so no one could see my tears some really powerful moments not just because it was a great season because there's so many great actors um characters within the documentary and you know, following some of the local players and some of the new players, etc., cetera, was, you know, really exciting. And I think fans will learn, I hope they'll learn about <clears throat> the club, some of the behind the scenes activity from a commercial perspective as well. So obviously the seller deal was covered during that period. So there'll be some discussions there. Um, really exciting. I enjoyed it. I'm obviously pretty biased, but I think uh, as an objective viewer, going back to fan engagement and building the brand, as an objective viewer, you can only feel positively about Newcastle when you watch the documentary. As a Newcastle United fan viewing it, I think you're going to love it. As
3: a supporter, my main concern is we're not going to give away too many secrets about Eddie Howe and the team and all the success they've had. I presume it's cleverly, you know, we're just going to see what we need to see. Yeah, no, not at all. That's <laughs>
2: obviously um, sacrosanct and, and, you know, tactical IP, etc. cetera, is, is not what the documentary is about. But, you know, you've seen the trailer, there's some clear footage of again you get a sense of characters but not of the processes I would say in that sense we don't want any of that going out <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly and but what,
1: what's the objective then what, what do Newcastle United want from the documentary what would be a good return
2: Growing the fan base growing people's understanding and knowledge of the club if you're uh, let's go back you know if you're a viewer um, outside of Newcastle and you see some of the scenes with the fan groups, some of the fan interactions seeing what making Wembley going to Wembley meant to our club and the way we behaved there if that has a positive impact on your relationship with Newcastle United you don't always when it comes to from a commercial growth perspective and growing your fan base it doesn't always have to be someone's first team if we don't um, if we have if we're popular amongst as, as people's second team if we're not disliked that's also good from a commercial perspective it means that sponsors don't mind aligning to you because they're not worried about um, alienating other brands there's been many sponsorship deals where uh, you know you wouldn't do a deal with arsenal because you'll upset tottenham fans or vice versa you know whereas you want to be well liked you don't need to be loved by everyone but you want to be respected and liked um, and appreciated so i believe the, the documentary will shine a positive light on the club a positive light on our ownership and their ambitions positive light on what we're trying to do and trying to achieve and the way in which we're doing it. We're doing it in a, the Newcastle way. We're doing it with a respect to our culture and our values. And I hope that comes across.
1: Can't wait. I think that Friday night in the city of Newcastle time might be a quiet one. <laughs> across the city before the uh, the carnage of the next day in the opening game against Villa. Um, I would love to ask you about the pace of change off the pitch then because this summer already... Uh, as supporters, match-going supporters, there's there's been a, a huge number of initiatives announced by the club. Um, you know, off the top of my head, digital ticketing, um, cup schemes, um, many more as well. What's that been like to be to be part of in terms of just trying to do so much in in, in a relatively short space of time?
2: Yeah, I I can't say that's been exhausting for me because it's been the incredible team. Um, that behind me that have been executing all of this. And you've named just a few issues being managed by still relatively lean team. So yes, digital ticketing, changes to home ticketing, changes to away ticketing, consultation throughout. So that period of consultation takes time. Then you have to execute with capacity that's not quite there yet. Um, All leading to commercial growth, but ultimately needing to balance the views Um, Some of which are very deep-seated and very passionate views with the need to try and build uh, for the future. And to exactly your point, Si, to make sure we're built for the good times and the Mm. bad times. So right now we have a massive over-demand of tickets. That's clear. But we need to have processes in place where that might soften or where we might have a bigger stadium. So how do we then fill that? Who do we fill it with? And how do we move people around, et cetera? That's what we're going to do. So we need to have all the processes and people in place to do that. This summer has been quite exhausting. I appreciate, um, I obviously look at social media like everyone. Um, I appreciate that some of the changes have taken time to communicate. That's not because we're not working on them. It's because we're working on so many things. I think digital ticketing probably takes normally six months to execute, and we're executing it in six weeks. if you don't mind, I'm going to call out to everyone who's listening, please download your digital tickets in <laughs> advance of coming to the stadium. Um, that's a We can put all the processes in place. We can send all the emails. We can make everyone move to digital tick- ticketing. But if fans don't then download, it's, not, it's going to cause the issues outside the stadium that make it look like the club haven't done the right thing. If fans download their tickets before they get there, they will enter the stadium seamlessly. Uh, they'll be able to transfer their tickets seamlessly. But... Um, we appreciate it's an education process, but we urge fans to, to keep looking for that new information and education. Yeah, I
3: think anyone who's been to St James's Park before and tried to use their phone inside the stadium knows what you're getting at. There, is that signals become a hot, uh, a difficult uh, situation when there's fifty thousand people trying to access the same website. So I think that's a we're good working, advice.
2: We're working on that too, and that will be resolved um, some point early in the season. I don't want to say by the beginning of next season (laughs) because my um, stadium team will will, will not be happy with me, but we're working on it. We're making the um, connectivity within the stadium better for that reason. I'm of the old school. I don't feel you should be on your phone in the stadium, (laughs) but I appreciate people want to send each other messages and and post, et cetera. So we're working on that too. Um, But the digital ticketing shouldn't be an issue because you should have it in your your wallet by now.
1: And in terms of the, the new ticket system, and it's not—it's not just just going digital. It's also, you know, um, renovations to the membership system, renovations to um, linking of accounts, passing tickets to friends and family. What, you know, is, is it as simple as, as dragging Newcastle United into the twenty-first century as a as a as a as a, as a football club? Like, what are the motivations behind these changes?
2: Yeah, everything we're do, doing and have done and will do. Is with the best intentions. It's with the best intentions of um, ensuring the club is built for success. It's for the best intentions of the fans so that they can use their tickets in the right way, transfer them easily, um, and resell them, as, as, I'll, as I'll come to. And it's all part of a transformation process. But ultimately, what we're trying to ensure is that tickets are distributed fairly, distributed at the right price, um, and quickly and efficiently. Uh, and all of these. Um, models which are obviously reflecting or changing some of the practices of the past Um, with change there is always people who embrace the change some people who demand the change and some people who don't want the change at all and we our job is to balance that through consultation balance those views and try and choose the, the the path which is with the best intention and the best path for the football club
3: are you saying, Peter, you can't make a system that suits a hundred thousand people exactly?
2: Exactly, as I say, as I said to, to to Alex before, if you put five people in a room and you ask them about home season tickets, you will get five different answers, mm. and trying to pick the correct one is is what we do through consultation. Yeah,
1: that's, it's been a noticeable change that the amount of engagement that's that's gone on already. You have a new support services department. You, you've made a lot of kind of key hires purely to allow fans to be able to communicate more with the football club, and you've referenced fan engagement a fair, a fair bit in this interview already. Do, do you feel like that's essential for, for, for growth of the fan base, both engaging with fans that we've already got whilst trying to bring new people in and, and, and strike a balance between the two?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, every football club has to, has to engage with their fan base. It, it doesn't always need to be positive. Fans don't need to, because I, because I engage with, with true faith, doesn't mean true faith always needs to say only positive things about the club. That's not football fandom. Football, mm. football fandom's passionate. If you don't agree with the club's ticketing policy, transfer policy, concession policy in the stadium, then, then you are the fans that want to, to complain about it or critique it. Um, but engagement's key. Um, I'm fortunate to work for Darren, um, who, um, if you know and understand... And if you were with him in Atlanta last week, I mean, he built a club, or a, a franchise, or a club from from scratch, and that was built on the premise of fan engagement. And then, you know, Darren is um, so enthusiastic about fan engagement at Newcastle, and hopefully, we can bring some of the initiatives from Atlanta. It doesn't all need to go from the UK to the US? Bringing some of their fan engagement initiatives, so the fan zone as being one of those. Um, is a way to to engage but consultation is key um and uh, you know post super league clubs have been mandated to do that but it's it shouldn't be a mandate it's a just an absolute necessity uh, if we're going to keep an equilibrium keep everyone happy or try and keep as many people happy as we can sorry
1: <laughs> so the new the new membership system there's a lot of noise on social media which which kind of comes with any change major change the club makes to its to its key ticketing policy this season, um, you've gone to a to a ballot system for members. Can you just talk a little bit about the motivations behind that?
2: Yeah, I mean, ultimately, um, of course, we uh, fans appreciate. First of all, the stadium in itself has a capacity restriction, and there's a capacity limit to the amount of season tickets we um, we we distribute, and then other tickets are sold on a single match basis. And from there, we've had we've. Um, correct a little bit of the season ticket in that season ticket holders no longer have access to an extra ticket because we want tickets to go into the hands of people who are registered with the club. So it's really important we know who's in the stadium from a safety and security perspective, but also from an engagement perspective, Mm. both from ourselves. um, We don't sell retail product currently, but if we did, how do we sell retail product? How do we sell content to those people and how do we engage with those people? Or on behalf of partners, how do we engage on behalf of Sela, how do we engage on behalf of Nuna, how do we engage in, on behalf of Castor if we don't have the details of the people in the stadium. And then it comes to equality and fairness in that distribution of those um, tickets. So by buying a membership, membership is more than just ticket access, that's a key message. Membership gives you access to events, discounts, content, but it also gives you an access to tickets. We want to know that every person who's coming to the stadium is a member of the club if you're buying a single match ticket. Uh, I'll come to season tickets in a minute because that's slightly different. And therefore by putting that group of members and our membership product has been extremely successful beyond our expectation in the last week, which shows the passion of the fan base. Um, So over 50,000 members registered in a very quick time and, and that number continues to grow. And that group of fans can then access tickets. They can access tickets that are being sold or they can access tickets that are being resold by season ticket holders. So season ticket holders will have the ability, again, within a closed group, because we want those tickets to be in a group of Newcastle United fans. A season ticket holder will be able to transfer their tickets or their ticket to any member of their friends and family that they nominate. Obviously, we want to monitor that people are using their season tickets in the right way. But if you want to give your ticket to your brother or your sister, that's easy to do. But if you don't want to attend, For financial reasons or because you can't you can resell that ticket back to the club and the club will sell it to the membership base again keeping it within a group that we know and understand Mm. Um, and that's very usual um it's a a lot of the clubs are doing it but we're having to catch up and and bring that um system in so um, when you have that demand for tickets you want to make sure they're being distributed correctly and distributed to people who we know
3: at the time of asking, um, I don't know if it's uh, known how soon before each game you'll be able to um, carry out any of these processes, for example, transferring your ticket to a family member or um, sell it back. What is the window before each game that we think people are gonna have?
2: Now I need to make sure I get my information correct here. Obviously we're impacted by TV selections. So we're gonna have to wait before we're till we've got confirmation on tickets. Mm. We would then um, ballot tickets, would probably around six weeks in advance, and, um, or when the TV is -hmm. confirmed. And then we will allow the resale, at the moment, I had this discussion this morning, at the moment within two weeks of the game, that was primarily to protect fans, but we were open to consultation there, because once you transfer your ticket, you can't ask for it back. Mm. So if you transferred it six weeks out, Mm -hmm. then decided, oh, I can go to that game, we can't give you the ticket back. So we just wanted to, we want to consult with fans and understand Mm. if they want it to be six weeks or if they are happy with a a shorter period. But again, it's trying to be as flexible as possible, trying to allow you to use your tickets the way you need to or want to use them. And then, um, and then uh, providing the ease of the systems to to transfer the the tickets. I
1: think, I think it'd be really good to just reiterate the point and get your views on the, the, how essential it is for the football club to know who's in the ground, both the home ground and and the away end, because the club have been pretty forthright in communication uh, today at the time of recording about um, you know season ticket holders who pass on a ticket to someone else. There will be ID checks enforced in away ends, and also that can happen at home games. It's, an, it's essential that anyone listening is the named ticket holder at a fixture. Can you just talk about the the absolute? It, it almost it's not optional, is it for the club? It's a necessity.
2: It is. I mean, obviously, away tickets are, number one, a very emotive subject. And the Newcastle um, away fans are incredible traveling the length and breadth of the country to support their team. And we were fantastic away from home last season, both on and off the pitch. So, of course, we want to um, respect and appreciate that, that group. But what we also want to make sure is that tickets are going to the right people and that tickets are going at the right price. Now, the Premier League many years ago brought in a cap on away tickets at £30. We wouldn't want people um, touting those tickets or, or or making money from those tickets. We want them to go into the hands of fans at the right price. Currently, there is no um, universal digital ticketing for away tickets, so it's very difficult to monitor who has tickets, albeit the Man City game at the beginning of the season. I think they're trialing away digital ticketing, which um, is useful because, again, going back to we want to know who's in the crowd and... We've got, a, we've got a set criteria, as we all know, and loyalty points on how people can access tickets, so we don't believe people should be able to jump that priority. People have worked hard to get those loyalty points, and then if other people are able to get in on friends' tickets, we want to try and avoid that. Um, and by doing spot checks at stadiums, which a lot of the clubs do, to check IDs to tickets is a way of looking at that, and we will be, we will be checking that, as all clubs are doing. I've spoken to, you know... Um, Here's at different clubs, and that's the method they use. Uh, some clubs have tried. It's a bit difficult to do collection, um, specifically for away European games. Again, very challenging, something we're looking at. But again, it's all part of this. This is based on the consultation, again, um, that we had on away tickets. And fans were very clear on what they liked about the system. And one of the things they didn't like was the fact that the tickets were being... Um, basically moving out of the priority. So we're we're trying to address the concerns of fans in this regard.
1: Yeah, it's a hugely emotive subject, like you say, and I suppose it's like right now as we talk, there is is a little ambiguity in what you've put out. The rules are there for everyone to follow. Um, The motivations you've explained very clearly to us, and I suppose now it's just a case of looking towards the new season, everyone being united, everyone being together, and... how how do you feel about next season? What what are you hoping for?
2: Well, I'm hoping for a, a good attendance at the sellacup. <laughs> uh, it's not to, it's not to, to to plug an event. It's you know I'm I've, I've a lot of experience in it and I I, um, I take pride in providing the best pre-season for the team. The game at Rangers was an incredible yeah, start. The game at Gateshead was a great starting point as well. The game at Ibrox was incredible. Not just because I'm I'm from Glasgow and and, and maybe uh, have an affinity towards that side of the city, mm-hmm. but more it was just a great spectacle and a great preparation match in front of a large crowd. The US tour was incredible, played in front of packed stadiums again. And I'd like that to be continued when we're, we're executing on the plan of strong European opposition. So, and I want those new players to feel the, uh, the St. James's Park atmosphere. And then ahead of the season, um, if I can just ask for more of the same, um, great fan behavior, Great fan emotion, great football results, you know, continued commercial success or growth, continued build of of the team off the pitch as well as on. Um, That's what we all want. We want the club to continue on the trajectory it is. And of course, I don't know, Darren and I had this debate the other day, what what group we want in the Champions Mm -hmm. League. Maybe I'll turn that over to you guys. Maybe I get to ask a question. But uh, obviously a great run in Europe taking, if we saw what... um, Oh, how proud we could have we were in london taking newcastle united to london i want to do the same in madrid or paris or barcelona wherever we're going taking the unique element of what is newcastle united and and showing that to the world both on the champions league stage itself but in some magnificent magnificent cities so let me ask that question to you guys what's the what's your dream group for the for the champions league
3: uh, I want the easiest group we can we can get because I want to see his progress. Um, it would be really nice to get one of those glamour ties. and if you progress, you'll get one eventually. So, um, and I know it's now impossible because of the seeding, we will inevitably get a, a, f- a top seed. So there'll be one big game in there. But yeah, um, flipping the question back to you, Peter. Sorry. Um, All I, right. Uh, just no, I'll, I'll not answer them. Yeah. Come ahead. back to <laughs> the asks, Don't worry. Um, I'm, I was just thinking because the draw for that Champions League is the end of August thirty first, yeah. and you've only got two to three weeks to prepare for either a home or away fixture. Is that going to be a challenge for you?
2: It's a challenge for all of us. We had a lot of discussions on, on, uh, on the tour in the US from a logistics perspective, both booking planes, hotels. You know, you've got your under nineteens team that goes as well, um, and making all those plans uh, so in such a short order for your first tie. Yes, it's very tight, um, and it puts a lot of um, pressure on an already under-resourced group I would yeah. say uh, but we're making all efforts to to address that but yes it's uh, a busy time again another example of trying to keep up with the pace of the the football trajectory is, is challenging but we're, we're all doing it with smiles on our faces sorry to sidestep that up. what's your dream Champions League
3: group
1: Real Madrid Dortmund Rangers <laughs> I think Dortmund are part two I'd love I'd love the big night at home against yeah. one of Europe's top oppositions. James's Park was built for for those nights and then we're we, you know, Rangers had a great trip to Glasgow. I'd fancy doing that again, and they're probably, with respect to them, one of the, the weaker sides in the competition. Sorry, Peter. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, Dortmund again is an away trip yeah. to the Yellow Wall. I think I think Newcastle and and, uh, and Dortmund would be would be great, great so atmospheres. I,
2: so Alex has picked two good nights out um, <laughs> in Glasgow and Dortmund, and the big tie, Real yeah. Madrid. Real Madrid. Yeah. I um I I have a. Well, I, I, I want to obviously progress like everyone does. Um, I think we can progress from any group, but true, this is a non-football opinion. That's a football <laughs> fan opinion. Just to be very clear, um, but from a commercial perspective, I can't help but thinking the maximum eyeballs on Newcastle United, both yeah. away, in another, seeing how we play, but also the maximum eyeballs on St James's Park for a glamour tie, is back to my fan engagement fan development what gives a fan a neutral fan or an objective fan the urge to come to newcastle united it's seeing the stadium seeing what war flags do seeing the passion in the stadium seeing us smash one of europe's top teams that's what's going to make people a newcastle united fan so there's a part of me that that wants that but of course um uh, give me nine points at home and nine points away <laughs> and i'll be delighted um,
1: one of the key things or themes of the summer for France has been financial fair play, something that Newcastle fans just didn't have to think about before this takeover. It now seems to instruct everything. Every every uh, report or a transfer, a transfer in or out, is linked to financial fair play. Is it a hindrance to, to where Newcastle United want to go? Is it something that the club are kind of actively, constantly trying to appease?
2: Um, I won't, you know, I won't speak for the areas I'm not responsible for, but. I find it strange to hear that it's a hindrance for Newcastle in any more way than it's a hindrance for Arsenal or Manchester united it, it's a set of rules that exist and um, and that need to be complied with at all times and every club is doing that or trying to do that um, and it's a balancing act and it means that when you have um, owners with the with the absolute ambition and capacity that we have and we're very fortunate to have that we need to balance that with the regulation and that's I I don't know if to call it a hindrance but it's just a it's a measure that's been put in place by UEFA and the Premier League to to control spending and that's what every club needs to to work with my job or the the job of my team is to put as much revenue into the cycle as possible Um, and that comes from broadcast that comes from uh, media revenues it comes from sponsorship it comes from ticketing uh, it comes from pre-season tours it comes from cellar cup it comes from all these areas and then it's finding ways that um that we can grow new revenue streams so the fan zone will be a new revenue stream when it comes on board and if we can or are lucky enough to be able to expand the stadium in some way or, or redevelop the stadium in some way then that will provide another new revenue stream but it's um it's it, you know, financial fair play is there to to control all clubs, not just Newcastle. Mm.
1: Very interesting answer that I, I, I really like. That answer is, as a, as, as a matter of fact, because th- that is how it's. You know, there are there are fans out there, and uh, people say this is deliberately to keep Newcastle down. It's deliberately to uh, enshrine six other football clubs, and I quite like the, the the approach. That it's it's the same fair rules for everyone. When we look at the news this week about Manchester United's new um, reported shirt deal. Um, with their kit supply of, of 900 million pounds over 10 years, is that daunting? You know, the fact that we we I mean, last season we finished one place behind Manchester United in the league, so we are competing with them in many respects. But in terms of what you're trying to do, in terms in terms of greatly increasing all sorts of revenue streams into the club, do you look at a deal like that and think, you know, this is where we need to be, this is where we will be, or is it not as simple as that?
2: Um, I hadn't thought of that question nor this answer Alex but uh, as you've said it you could look at that and that's I think the biggest kit deal though maybe slightly behind Real Madrid but the biggest kit deal Um, in the market over a long period um, reflecting the huge size of the Man United fan base and the the scale of their international uh, fan base I mean obviously it's an incredible deal we would hope we will grow at a faster rate yes it's aspirational it's where we need to get to it's going to take a lot of time a lot of time to get to that level
1: so you know four points last season off them uh we're doing okay
2: yeah <laughs> we? um, we're doing all right and our you know i can go back to preaching numbers the broadcast viewership for that game globally was 33 percent up year on year so 33 percent more fans saw smashman united which <laughs> is um obviously it was great and that was a fantastic game again representing everything you want St James's Park to do and which we hope to do in a European stage. The, the, the atmosphere in the stadium was was incredible. We started so quickly, I think you might have seen from, from the documentary trailer why that was mm. and we basically put them to bed very quickly and it was a just fantastic game and more and more people were seeing that globally and that's a great advert for Newcastle United. Hats off to them and their commercial deals. We. We don't look at others, we look at ourselves, and we've got a lot of work and a lot of things that we can be and will be proud of soon.
3: Those numbers are wild. 33% up on the previous home game yeah. against Manchester United. Yeah.
2: It was, so 33% up globally and 40% up um, in the UK. Wow, So that's nearly wild. 3 million people watched it in the UK. Uh, yeah, fantastic numbers. Um, my, my only disappointment was that our Spurs numbers were up um, but not quite as much and I really wanted as many people as possible to see <laughs> the first game But maybe they all did what I did and watched the first 21 minutes on repeat <laughs> <laughs> Hundreds of times, so maybe I haven't been quite caught in the numbers there But yeah, our numbers, broadcast numbers last year were exceptional um, Because our football was exceptional and our fans were exceptional And we as a club performed exceptionally Let's hope we can have the same successes in, in all competitions this year And win a trophy
1: what a start we've got to the Premier League season in terms of the the opening fixtures. That must that must be you know kind of dream come. Well, I don't know. You, you, you tell us. But in terms of the attention, I, don't, I think Newcastle United statistically the maths pods have been out there, and they've looked at who has the hardest start, and it's Newcastle by some distance. But in terms of of, of um, domestic and international attention, Newcastle United's start to the season will I think will be the story one way or another, just because of the opposition that we face how you feeling about the start of the season?
2: Yeah, well, going back to, we're selected six out of seven in the first game, which is more than any other team. Um, I'm a football fan at the end of the day, so when it comes to the football element, so I'd say the teams that play us have got the hardest start to the season. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't think any team wants to come here and play at 5.30 on a Saturday as the first game of the season. True, Albeit, when we went to Villa last year, that was probably the most difficult game we had. Um, But when they came here, was difficult for them, so I'd, it's exciting. Start is the Premier League. It's not won or lost in August. It's an emotional roller coaster. It will be a tough, really tough start, but great games to start. If you start well, you've got a competitive advantage. If you don't, you make it up. And um, we've all got our eyes on so many different trophies and goals this season that the end of August won't be determined of any. That's my. Is that my? teach each game as it comes, football answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's pretty much But we're going to win them all.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> you, you know, you, you guys will be more level-headed if we have a good start than podcasts like this, which will have me saying we're going to win the league. Um, <laughs> which which would be, you know, silly, but, you know... Um, for, the for the second season running. For the second season run. a second on Boxing Day last year. What,
2: what was your prediction last year? Fourth. Smug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately,
1: you also for
3: me, at Christmas, was telling everyone how we were going to win the league.
1: I didn't say we are going to win the league. I said we're in the conversation with mm-hmm. those two clubs, which at the time we were. I think we traded in a little bit of league form for our cup final, which which you know I backed and was yeah. was a great journey. But um, fortunately for me, Peter, all of this is recorded. So if anyone doubts my commitment <laughs> to fourth place last season, it's all there.
2: I look to these podcasts for objectivity and balance, but clearly I'm not going to get it <laughs> on yours. Yeah,
1: <laughs> wrong place, wrong place. Peter, this has been absolutely sensational from our point of view. This is the embodiment of fan engagement. Thank you so much for speaking to our listeners. Cy um, si and I are very grateful. I'm sure everyone listening is hugely grateful for you for giving up your time to speak to the supporters like this. Uh, long may it continue, and, and we wish, of course we wish you and colleagues all the best for the season to come. Thanks for
4: coming. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust.